Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're going to be talking with Jim Lund. He's one of our gold loopers, and we're going to talk about some of the mistakes that Jim and Leslie made along the way on their great loop and uh, some tips on how you can avoid them. So no intention of scaring anyone with some of the things that can go wrong, but Jim has a great ability to make this lighthearted but still give you the information so you can learn from his mistakes. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, I'd like to welcome Jim Lund. Jim, thanks for joining me on Great Loop Radio. Oh, my pleasure to be here so people can learn about my folly and, uh, and what we learned from it. But I want to reiterate something you said. This is not intended to scare folks. It's more of everything that happened to us could be avoided. And, and why not learn from that and, and enjoy your cruise? Yeah. And one of our platinum loopers that I'm thinking you probably know, Jim, Eddie Johnson, who a lot of people know from Eddie's weather wag. Um, he yeah. usually says in face-to-face -face seminars, you need to learn from mistakes, but they don't have to be yours. <laughs> so exactly. hopefully we can learn from uh, some of what Jim and, and Leslie went through. Uh, but before we kind of jump into those mistakes, Jim, tell us a little bit about uh, yourselves because you're sitting in the beautiful Thousand Islands area. Um, and tell us about the, yours and Leslie's great loop and tireless as your boat. So uh, share some details of her. Sure. Um, Leslie and I are both, uh, I'll call it semi-retired from the financial services industry. I've been boating all my life. Leslie kind of came along with me, so she's learned as we're going. We um, started the loop in 2017 and completed it after 14 months in uh, 2018. Um, and people frequently ask me, would I do it again? Oh, yeah, we're going to do it again, all right. Uh, it was a trip of a lifetime, and uh, let's, let's, let's enjoy it one more time. Um, the boat, Tireless, Probably not your typical looper boat. It's a go-fast cruiser boat, although we are seeing more of them on the loop these days. It's a 45-foot Baja. Uh, it was a rare boat, uh, was mocked up, never went into production. So uh, it's it's a, a go-fast boat. It can cruise uh, uh, in the, in the mid-20 knot range. Uh, it doesn't have great fuel economy. Uh, has two big two-stroke Detroit diesels with oversized turbos and injectors. Um, so it's an unusual boat. But the reason it was perfect for us is because I already owned it, um, <laughs> and uh, that's, that's what we used. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned kind of in our pre-interview you're about to take a cruise. Since you're in Canada, you've got some of the beautiful cruising grounds that us in the U.S. can't access right now. Where are you about to head? Well, we'll, we'll do a Canadian version of the Triangle Loop. Well, I'm in Gananoque, a gateway to the Thousand Islands, and it really is beautiful cruising grounds here. So we debated whether just to spend a month bobbing around here. We decided we we're going to go um, down the St. Lawrence to Montreal, then uh, up the Ottawa River to Ottawa, take the Rideau uh, Canal System to Kingston, and then back home. We'll, we'll spend four or five weeks doing that. Yeah, well, and those of us um, on this side of the border are envious because those are, of course, some of the most beautiful cruising grounds on the loop, and um, so many 
U.S. plans have changed for for those on the U.S. side of the border who had hoped to do um, the Triangle Loop or that part of the Great Loop this year. So enjoy it. Send us pictures because, like I said, we're envious. Um, so let's start. <laughs> let's jump in and talk a little bit about some of the things that for you and Leslie went wrong that you think you could have avoided had somebody shared this information with you. Um, so you mentioned one of the biggest mistakes is heading out in unfavorable weather. So tell us about when you made that mistake and then you know share how we can learn from that and what you would do differently the next time. Uh, well, I can easily say this was a mistake that only happened once because we learned from it and, and won't repeat it. Um, the situation, we were about a month into uh, our, our loop, so we had just started. Uh, and uh, it's uh, at the end of uh, July, and uh, so we're facing down the August long weekend coming up. We were in the northeast Georgian Bay uh, at an island uh, anchor in the Bustard Islands, beautiful anchorage. We actually decided to stay a day or two longer, the kind of thing where you're at crystal water, the boat's sitting in about 20 feet of water, the, the stern is tied to shore, completely isolated, uh, idyllic setting. But the Bustards also are known for a bit of a, magnetic interference, naturally occurring magnetic interference. So we had no radio, no um, VHF, uh, no anything electronic, no cell signals, anything like that. So we, we were enjoying some beautiful weather, but decided because we had reservations at the Sportsman Inn in Killarney that we should uh, we should now depart uh, for, our, for our reservation. So we were on a schedule. Uh, people can take that as a hint. We... Um, we were in a very protected area, surrounded by high rocks, so we really weren't sure uh, what, the, what the weather was like out there. Uh, we weighed anchor and, and headed out, and as we came out from behind uh, a protected bay, you could see some white caps out there, but it didn't look too bad. Tireless was a good-sized boat. Um, and we came around the end of one island and opened ourselves to the full fetch of wind coming out of the south on Georgian Bay and, and Lake Huron, and it, it only took moments where I said to Leslie, hang on, here comes a rogue wave. And the front of tireless just goes through this wave would probably be the best way to describe it. And and moments after that, I realized that, that actually wasn't a rogue wave. <laughs> this is what we're <laughs> in for. And the thing about the waves is I estimate they're about nine or 10 feet, um, but it was the duration. They were very close together. So before the boat could clear one wave, the, the bow of the boat would be going into the next one. Um, and so the bow of Tireless spent an inordinate amount of time underwater. And I also realized that with the steepness of these waves, I couldn't turn the boat around. I couldn't go back. Uh, they would roll my boat. It's quite tall. It doesn't have a keel. Uh, it, would, it would roll my boat. So we spent the next two hours doing what you would call uh, white knuckle cruising, uh, where I would pick up the throttles, try and move forward, and then have to back right off, and the, and the bull would torpedo through the next wave. We finally, I, I consulted my charts and, and figured that after about two hours of this pounding, we would be in the leeward side uh, of an island to get some relief where I could turn the boat around in uh, Beaverstones Bay and, and head for Collins Inlet, which is like a fjord up uh, Anyway, after about about uh, an hour and a half, I said to Leslie, go down to the lower deck. And she looked at me and she said, why? I said, well, I'm going to try and bring the boat around now. And if the boat rolls, it's easier for you to jump off the back deck um, versus trying to get off the flybridge where we where we um, have the only helm station. 
<laughs> that's when she realized how serious this was, I think. Um, anyways, I was able to bring the boat around, and literally we surfed a 45-foot boat into Collins Inlet where all was calm, and we made our way through the inlet. It didn't end here. Uh, we went through the inlet, the boat, you know, we regained our nerves, if you will, and with just three miles to go to Killarney, the inlet opens up into the uh, open water again, although not near as rough. There are some islands off in the distance that provide some protection. But just as we're about three miles from, from Killarney, one engine quits. So I try and start it, and moments later, the second engine quits. And so we're dead in the water. There's a good breeze. We're being blown back. I consult the charts again, my chart plotter, and I see we're going to come over a hump of about 30 feet of water. So I drop the anchor. We, we hook and uh, we call for tow, and, uh, and about 40 minutes later, remarkably, about 40 minutes later, uh, Ross Herbert, the owner of Herbert Fisheries in Killarney, if you've been there, you know Herbert Fisheries, um, came out to rescue us in what looked like an oversized rowboat, but what turned out to be a little boat with a 350 V8 engine and a prop that looked like a cauliflower. Um, <laughs> he he, he, drove, he, he uh, hooked us and, and brought us in but not before I had to disconnect my anchor because I had drowned the windlass. It had spent so much time underwater. It let the anchor out all right, but it wasn't coming back up. Um, and so we had to abandon our, our anchor. We marked it and got it later, and Ross towed us in, where we immediately headed for the bar to uh, decompress <laughs> for an extended period of time. So really an amazing story. And usually it's the, when things don't go quite as expected, usually makes for the best stories. But I'm, I'm really curious as to where you think you made the mistakes, because you mentioned um, out there in the Bustards, you didn't have electronics. So did you have access to weather reports? Was there a way to know what conditions to expect? And you also said, you know, you thought about turning around, but that wasn't possible. So those are usually the two things that people point out is, you know, check the weather, don't be afraid to turn back. So tell, yeah, tell us your thoughts on what you the, should have done that day that would have avoided that situation. There was there were several little lessons and one big lesson. Okay. So the little lessons, um, no, we had no access to any weather reports whatsoever. But we did a couple of days earlier, so we got much better at scanning the weather several days in advance, particularly the wind. That's not a habit we had been doing before because think of it, we we just spent the first month of our cruise coming up through the Trent Severn. Wind's not a big thing other than locking through. Um, you know, you're not getting huge open water uh, with the exception maybe of Lake Simcoe. Uh, so we weren't scanning the weather in particular the wind for further, a few more days in advance. We should have been doing that. Um, the second thing, uh, the second lesson, uh, and we had it, so everybody else should get it. We had tow insurance. <laughs> that came in very handy and it was remarkable how fast they got us. Um, the other one I mentioned earlier, we were on a schedule. Uh, and so we were, you know, we really wanted to get to Killarney for our reservation. Well, you know, uh, ditch the reservation. There's the more important things uh, than that. And the biggest thing, though, is that the lesson here is quite simple. <laughs> when we started to get into the rough water, Leslie was looking at me and she thought, hmm, Jim's okay with this. I'll stay quiet. Meanwhile, I'm looking at Leslie going, oh, she seems to be okay with this. I better buck up. Uh, neither one of us were okay right from the get-go. So immediately, we instituted a veto policy. 
that either one of us for the rest of the trip, this is what apply. If either one of us for any reason, didn't even have to state the reason, if you're not comfortable with what's, what you see or what you think is going to happen, you can, you can uh, delay the trip. You can cancel that leg of the journey or postpone it, I should say. So communicate was actually the most important lesson on this one. If someone's not comfortable, say, no, we're not going. And that's it. Uh, that was the biggest thing. And I do hear that from um, several looping couples, that it only takes one veto or someone to say that their half of the boat isn't going and it doesn't go that day. So I guess um, had either you or Leslie spoken up as soon as you hit uh, the unexpected weather, you would have still had the opportunity to turn around and, and go back to the protected inlet. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We would have, like Leslie isn't comfortable in, in boating in white caps. I'm not that comfortable either. We would have seen that before we even came out from the island. We did see it. And and I thought I could handle it. Leslie mm-hmm. thought, well, if Jim thinks he can handle it, but we, we neither one of us were, were comfortable. We, sh- we should have turned around. I'll add a, one other little lesson to this story. It sort of came later. My engines had quit because the turbulence in the in the um, the, the journey had stirred up sediment in the tanks and had blocked one of my fuel intakes. I have crossovers, so the engines can draw from both tanks, and diesel engines draw more fuel than they burn, and the excess is returned to the tanks. So by having my crossovers open, it meant that when uh, one of the intakes got blocked, that tank actually ended up filling up with diesel fuel. The other tank got completely drained. Both engines quit. Um, so here I am in Killarney going, how am I going to fix this? I've lost the prime on both engines trying to start them. Uh, there's no, there's one, you heard what they were in terms of engines and how tight my engine bay is. You can't put your legs between my engines. Um, they declined <laughs> to, to come. So here we are on a long weekend in Northern Ontario. Uh, how am I going to get the prime back in these engines and unplug that fuel line? So there I was looking out on my backpack out over my dinghy, and I realized the dinghy has a foot pump. I can use the foot pump to find the engines and blow out the blockage on one of the fuel lines. So with a little ingenuity and some tape and a funnel and a foot pump, about 40 minutes later, I had both uh, both engines running where we went off to the current for some service and having the tanks polished and all of that. Uh, so don't be afraid uh, to MacGyver. Uh, Take your time, think about it, and you'll be surprised what you can accomplish. Yeah, and one more question about this one, Jim, before we move on to the next story. Um, I had not heard before of this phenomenon in the Bustards where you can lose all of your electronics. Um, And I'm sure there's some people listening going, I'm staying away from the Bustards when I do the Great Loop. And I'm sure there's others going, that sounds fabulous. How do I get to some place where people can't disturb me? Um, But... Talk a little bit about that. How widespread is that? How frequent is that? Um, like I said, it's, it's something new to me, which is unusual. Been up there a couple times. You'll actually see uh, it marked on some of the, I don't know about the current charts. We have an older set of charts. Mm-hmm. And just, uh, let me think now, uh, just be, as we were traveling, just before we reached the Busters, there was actually a marked area of a magnetic field area. Um, uh, the, you know, the Canadian Shield's got a lot of, interesting minerals and sometimes they uh, they can accumulate to create a bit of a, um, a interference magnetic mm-hmm. interference and it's actually on a couple of the charts it's a small okay. area um, and the buses are, are pretty remote so I think it's a combination of not only magnetic interference so um, 
you know, you're you're pretty well away from everything. There's no nearby cell towers or communities or anything like that. So um, I think it was a combination of some natural magnetic uh, uh, interference, which you'll see on your uh, on your charts, and uh, just the remoteness of the bustards. I would still encourage people to go there. They're beautiful. Um, and also, specifically where we were anchored was in a, a narrow bay with tall rocks all around. So I think you know there might have been several contributing factors there. Okay, so let's move on to another thing that gives some people pause if, until they've done it several times, and that is anchoring overnight. So you learned some <laughs> lessons the hard way in the Bahamas while you were anchoring. So share that story with us. That, this is uh, this is almost embarrassing, uh, uh, but because we had anchored before this and had never had any issues, uh, and uh, and here we are in the in just arrived in the Bahamas. We had gone to check in at the west end of the Bahamas, and then we made our way along the north edge of uh, of um, the the Abacos, and uh, right at the very tip of the Great Abaco Island is this, this large bay, um, uh, a large key, and. Uh, an ideal Bahamas setting, just beautiful. We had this huge bay to ourselves, must have been, I don't know, a mile by a mile, uh, sand beach, no one else there. We I anchored way out uh, about well, three or 400 yards off any shore, um, and uh, we take the dinghy in and spend an afternoon uh, just in a, one of those, oh, welcome to the Bahamas moments. If, if this is what we're in for, we've just, you know, we've just gone to heaven. So we spend the afternoon there. At the end, a nice dinner back on board. Um, uh, everything's calm. It was a beautiful, calm day. We go to sleep. Uh, around 11.30 at night, I, I could hear the wind was up. So I got up and checked on the anchor and everything seemed fine. We were, we were where we were. Um, about one o'clock in the morning, I start hearing splashing sounds. Sounds like a boat approaching with waves splashing off the hull. And silly, the, the first thing I think of is pirates. We've got pirates. <laughs> so I jump out of bed and I go to the back. Now, I have to tell you, um, um, I sleep um, uh, al fresco. Uh, <laughs> so I storm to the back of the boat to throw open the curtains, figure I'll just scare the heck out of anybody who's come by. And immediately I call out to Leslie, we're aground, because it wasn't pirates. It was waves splashing off rocks. There was a little outlet between where two islands kind of nose themselves together, little outlet, and the current, the tide was flowing out through that outlet. The wind had picked up tremendously and done a 180, swung around. And, you know, our anchor uh, became dislodged and uh, silently slid across the sand bottom. And so... We just feel the first tap of as we hit that we hit something, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, um, this isn't getting any better. The tide's going down. What are we going to do? So I immediately run up to the bridge, um, climb up to the bridge, uh, hit the windlass to bring the anchor in. I figure if the anchor can hook a rock as it's coming in, maybe we can pull ourselves offshore because we're just touching shore. We're not the hose and banging, but something's hooked. And I can't tell whether it's a prop or a trim tab or something. Anyways, the anchor does grab something, but the wind and the current are too strong. It, 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 won't, it won't bring in the anchor. So I run out to the bow pulpit. Again, I'm, I'm still not clothed. Um, I'm spread eagle on the bow pulpit, pulling on the chain uh, with the chain running underneath me and the wind was somewhere between my legs. 
It's a rather unnerving sensation <laughs> with me calling up to Leslie to bring in the anchor, you know, haul up the windlass. And eventually, with all my might, I'm pulling and the windlass is going. And all of a sudden, you feel something let go and the boat swung around. So I scurry back and up, to, up into the bridge, start the engines and move our boat out, pick up the anchor, go way, way, way out into the bay, lower the anchor. And needless to say, didn't sleep a wink more that night. <laughs> so how far did you actually drift, do you think? Uh, I'd say we moved about 350 yards without knowing it. Wow. So m- most people yeah, just, probably wouldn't expect that the anchor would drag that far. Um, well, it was just, this bay is just a beautiful, smooth sand bottom. And I guess the anchor just sort of got on its side and tracked it that way. Mm-hmm. So, and then thankfully you weren't, you know, you didn't end up aground waiting for the tide to uh, come back in. But uh, lessons yeah. learned. What are the takeaways that uh, you and Leslie, what are you doing differently these days when you anchor? <laughs> Oh, I'm paying a lot more attention to setting the anchor, um, and 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 again looking out over the wind forecast, and you know what am I likely to be in for overnight? So paying more attention to the wind, setting the anchor properly. But here's the killer: we both had anchor apps on our phones, so Drag Queen mm-hmm. time. Neither one of us, I mean, we refused them. Neither one of us set our anchor app that night. That would have been a simple solution that would have easily caught the problem well before anything uh, untoward happened, and and we would have been fine. Now, we were still lucky. All that happened in this is I had a bent trim tab, and it got hooked on the rock and was actually holding the boat off the rocks, and a uh, a slightly uh, bent prop, well, not the first time that's happened, uh, could have been so much worse. So get an anchor app and actually use it. And what I've been hearing from uh, several people that Drag Queen is not uh, available anymore in the app stores, but there are lots of anchor apps. Um, some of your navigation apps have an anchor alarm inherent in them as well. So, yeah, absolutely use them. Um, Scott and Karen Duvall, who are the owners of Capable Cruising, are gold loopers, and they did they talked a little bit in one of our webinars on anchoring about some of the anchor alarms and how to properly set the anchor and then properly set the anchor alarm. So if that's something that concerns you, there is an AGLCA webinar out there about that that you can take a look at. Uh, but yeah, overnight anchoring is something that um, newer boaters who haven't done it a lot are probably, and in your example, probably more careful because they're more concerned. But you and Leslie had done this numerous times, so it didn't set the anchor alarm because it probably wasn't a care in the world sitting in the beautiful waters of the Bahamas. Exactly. We were sloppy. Um, so don't, don't, let a, don't let down your guard. Use the app. It would have been such a simple fix for this. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we will talk about the third mistake that Jim's going to share. And this is one that uh, I think for a lot of people is a, is a big fear, and that is fire aboard. So we'll come back and we'll hear how Jim and Leslie tackled that issue and some of their suggestions uh, on how to avoid that. We'll be back in a moment. Are you looking for a new luxury marina at an affordable price? Visit Marlin Bay Resort and Marina, located in the Florida Keys. Modern docks are now available for daily, weekly, monthly, and annual rental. Each boater has unlimited free access to all of the resort's amenities, such as a large heated pool with jacuzzi and pool bar, fitness room, sauna, and steam room. 
Enjoy the upscale clubhouse, which is the perfect place to relax on land. And coming soon, the marina will offer new boat lifts. The marina offers billiards, table shuffleboard, and a game room, fish stations, barbecue grills, and a waterfront observation tower to see unbelievable views of Marathon. There are also a number of beautifully appointed vacation homes considered to be some of the nicest in the Keys. Marlin Bay Resort and Marina in Marathon is a perfect layover destination and has everything a cruiser could want. Come and visit Marlin Bay Resort and Marina today. You'll be glad you did. See them online at www.marlinbay.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Jim Lund. He is a gold looper, and he is sharing some of the mistakes that he and Leslie made on their Great Loop. Uh, Jim, has, if you've been listening to the whole episode, Jim has a pretty lighthearted way of sharing the mistakes so that we, the rest of us can learn from them. And he is, of course, a very gifted storyteller. So, uh, Jim, fire is scary regardless of the situation. Um, but thinking about yes. a fire aboard a boat uh, is even scarier. Uh, of course, depending on where you are and where the boat is located is, is also can make the situation much worse or in some cases much better. Tell us where you and Leslie were and, and what type of fire it was and, and how it all happened. Okay, uh, this um, uh, this was for us the um, probably the closest moment to where I thought I was going to lose the boat, uh, if 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 not life. It was uh, it was a very scary incident. It could have been worse. Our, our setting was we had just had our <laughs> our second engine rebuilt. It's, it's almost kind of amusing that I'm talking about the scariest moments. We had two engine rebuilds, and that didn't even make the list. <laughs> but uh, a side thing on on that is make sure you have a contingency um, funds or line of credit or something. Our two engine rebuild cost ninety grand of unexpected wow. um, hurt, uh, so it it didn't scare me. It sure scared my wallet. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so here we are getting the second engine rebuilt. We were in the Charleston City boatyard up the Wando River. Um, just outside Charleston, you may be familiar with it. I am, um, yes. We were there for six weeks, and man, it was hot. Um, and so the air conditioning was running for six weeks straight, and, uh, and we finally had gotten the engine reinstalled. Uh, that in itself was a scary-looking process with using big pieces of iron and, 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 and winches and, and, and cranes. and Anyways, the engine's in. We're getting the batteries are just been charged up, and I just turned them back on. We're tied up at the um, uh, service dock there, waiting for a sea trial later that morning. Leslie and I are enjoying breakfast, and all of a sudden, this acrid-smelling, thick smoke starts coming out of some of the vents. And my first thought was, "Oh, the air conditioning has given up the ghost. It's having a total meltdown." And I immediately jump up and hit the panel. There are our AC. Uh, our, our electrical panel, I turn off the power uh, there and and pull up the seat where the air conditioning resides, and it's fine. But the smoke is really starting to pour on now, and, and it's starting to accumulate in the top of the boat. And as I say, it's got this chemical quality to it that's very hard to breathe. I tell Leslie to get off the boat, and she gets off the boat. I want to put out this fire. I got fire extinguishers everywhere. The smoke is incredible, so I'm starting to pull up. Uh, our engine bay uh, is is under the salon, which involves moving some furniture and carpet and then tearing up two layers of flooring and then a subfloor. So I'm pulling back the panels for that, and I'm throwing them out on the back deck. And every time I go out, I grab a breath of air because the smoke is incredible now. 
and I'm crawling back in to stay under it and grabbing another panel out the back. I go grab another breath of air, run back in, grab another panel. I keep doing this. I finally get it open. I can't see anything for the smoke, but I can't see fire. And just as that's happening, the engine starts. Like, what? The keys aren't even in the ignition, and the engine is starting. Uh, so I run up the ladder to the flybridge, hit the kill switch on the engine. It's still turning. It's not running, but it's turning over, and it won't stop. And now on top of the smoke, I can smell a lot of diesel. Um, so I, by this time also, the marina mechanics have gathered. The chief mechanic is there. He stops anybody from getting on the boat. So that tells you how bad this is. Also, they've, they've, one of the guys has run to get a little service boat. They've brought it around to the far side of Tireless to pull it off the dock and let it go. Um, I'm not giving up because I'm just too stubborn. So the engine's starting. I, I can't figure out. Finally, the mechanic yells, you know, did you kill the power? And I said, yeah, I killed the panel. You've unplugged me. No, the battery power. Oh. Now, the spot where I'd been throwing all the panels from when I was uh, open oh, no. going so on. It's mm-hmm. underneath all of them. Uh, oh no. I have to get to the lazarette. So now I'm throwing the panels back in the boat and I'm digging through and I get to the power and I kill it. Uh, I kill the, the battery power. The switch is just in the lazarette. And now the engine's not turning over anymore and all of a sudden the smoke starts to die down. So what had happened was when the, uh, the boatyard reinstalled my engine, one of the uh, mechanics' uh, apprentice hooked a wire up to my starter that ought not to have been hooked up. It was actually a bonding wire. Uh, and so when that happened, uh, after I re- turned on the batteries, that wire got so hot, it literally melted through a whole gang of wires and halfway through a diesel fuel line. It's a miracle that that didn't ignite, uh, but all the burning was melting wires. All the sheathing on the wires had melted and burned, uh, and and uh, that's what was going on. I coughed for two or three days after that. Um, that was the, uh, the point where I thought I'd lose the boat, and there's a couple points where I was pretty lightheaded, uh, so it could have been worse. And that is... Um a very scary story, very frightening situation for anyone. Um, I think most people probably would have hopped off the boat, Jim, <laughs> um, but your stick obviously saved the boat. Um, you know, obviously the fire was uh, a caused by the work that had been done and had been done improperly. So what can we learn from this? How, how could you, what do you, would you have done different? How would you have changed the situation? Well, the, the, um, you hit. There's two items here that I, I want to impress upon people. Um, the first one is exactly the point that you raised, Kim. I probably a smarter person might have just stepped off the boat and and let it go. Uh, that was. I took a. I think a risk. Uh, you're not the first person to say that. My well, certainly my family, my brothers and sisters looked at me like I'd completely lost my mind. What were you thinking? Step off the boat. That's what you have insurance for. And that that's true. So I would say um, I'm not encouraging people to do what I did necessarily, uh, learn when to um, abandon ship. Uh, the second thing is that that could have could have short shortened this uh, incident to something much less um, uh, frightening. Is I was smart enough to kill the panel power and the, the boat was unplugged, but I wasn't smart enough to kill all the power on the boat. 
That's the lesson here. Second, you run into something like this, you suspect why the first thing you should do is kill everything. Kill the engines, kill the AC power, kill the DC power, turn everything off. At least you're going to stop, if it's an electrical fire, you're going to stop the heat from building up even further. And if I had done that first, if I had not only killed the power in the panel, but also scabbard to the back of the boat and turned off the batteries, um, uh, this wouldn't have gotten as far uh, developed as it did. That is a good lesson learned that maybe isn't obvious from the start because you did make it clear that when you did realize the batteries were still on, uh, that did taper off the smoke and kind of took care of the problem. Um, so that is good information. And these things are very hard, I would imagine, um, in the middle of the situation to remember those steps and all the things to turn off. So, um, and Jim, you may not know this, but uh, we have a member who has done a whole series of checklists that he keeps aboard his own boat. Um, they were designed for his boat, but he shared them with AGLCA so we could share them with members. And they are on the website and they're checklists for handling the day-to-day -day situations, but also handling these types of emergency situations. And there is one specific to what to do if there's a fire on board. So in addition to Jim's tips, there's some great information in there. They're available to AGLCA members in an editable format because the idea is um, they were designed for one specific boat, but you can take those tips and adapt them to other boats. So I'd like to throw that in there as my own tip is that um, if you have that list in front of you in the heat of the moment, you're not gonna forget to do something like the batteries. So just a thought for me. Um, Jim, these are great stories. And like I said, you're a gifted storyteller, so it makes it very entertaining. Um, and you do have a, an ability, I think, to present these issues that come up without scaring people off and thinking that the loop is too dangerous because it is a very safe trip. It's not an ocean crossing. You're not out of sight of land. Um, you know, in all of these situations, you had help available because you were uh, at a marina or within towing range or things like that. Um, yep. So good to note that. Uh, and thank you for sharing these because, and I would like to say that most people don't have as many mistakes, but they probably do. Um, in fact, all I'm sure do. Some may not have been quite as dramatic <laughs> as the ones that you and Leslie had. Um, but anything else, any final thoughts before we wrap up for today? Well, I think uh, let's end on a positive note. Uh, yeah. I want to encourage people who are thinking about doing loop to do it. It is the trip of a lifetime. Uh, I would, I am going to do it again. Uh, we're going to see spots that we, didn't see the first time around. I mentioned the the, uh, the engine issues. You know, that caused us to be stationary in Charleston for six weeks. Well, heck, we rented a car and went all over the place. Uh, had the time of our lives down there. And the same thing when we were um, we were tied up in uh, Iuka, I think it's or, uh, something like that. In, mm -hmm. Yeah, Iuka, Mississippi. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, uh, you know, same thing there. We We explored all around and and uh, had a you know, muscle shoals and we actually drove down to the rendezvous and uh, had the time of our lives so every it, it's a, it is an adventure uh, uh, but it's a, it's an amazing trip and i encourage people to uh, to uh, you know don't let these little issues scare you just learn from them you therefore you can avoid them and and enjoy uh, enjoy uh, america's great loop that was the perfect way to wrap it up. Jim, thanks again for sharing these mistakes and also the ways to avoid them. We appreciate that. And we'll um, have to have you back just to share some more of your stories at some point. Uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.